You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome to the very first episode of Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Mike Kasdan. Well, Mike, we've talked about doing this podcast for some time, and we finally bit the bullet, and here we are. Yes, I'm very excited. Sometimes you just meet someone, and you're like, I'm going to host a podcast with that person, and that person is you, and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. It's, um, I'm really excited. It's gonna. I think we're going to have a really good time. But um, before we get into the topic we're going to talk about today, Mike, do you want to share with folks um, some of the topics we plan to cover during the podcast? Sure. Um, I think one of the things I'm really excited about is taking a big tent kind of uh, perspective on both inclusion uh, and also hopefully evolution. Um, and so I think, you know, we'll definitely be covering I think the topics we think about when we think about um, diversity, equity, inclusion from the perspective of gender and race and LGBTQ plus issues and disabilities, um, but also issues like mental health. Um, and so I think we'll take a nice expansive view of these topics because I think many, many topics um, in our fields and our fields being, you know, the legal field, of course, but also kind of the STEM and tech transfer field. And I think also just the world in general. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and I, I think there won't be a shortage of topics and things for us to discuss, so I'm really excited to be doing this with you. For sure. So let's go ahead and kick things off, and I thought we would start things off with a bang today and talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion in law firms. Mike, we're both in law firms, and we both know that progress is increasing in equity, diversity, and inclusion in firms, but it's doing so at a painfully slow rate. So the question I thought we would kick around today is, will law firms ever make any meaningful progress on diversity inclusion, or are these efforts really doomed? Are they going to lag for the foreseeable future, or or maybe even forever? Maybe we'll never get there. What do you think? So yeah, I'm I'm generally a hopeful person, but also try to be a realistic one. And I think, uh, you know, never ever is a really long time. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I, I have been, um, you know, excited, you know, to see kind of changes happening, but as you and I have discussed, um, it's frustrating when it's happening so incrementally. And sometimes we feel like we're moving backwards when we see certain articles and certain statistics and certain survey results and talk to people who are having lived experiences um, that, you know, we're, we're certainly not where we need to be or want to be. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for change, but I think it's certainly not something that's just going to happen without a lot of intentionality and and I think also with a lot more pushing from a much broader uh, group of people. Yeah, I think that's it exactly. And I think, you know, one of the issues is everybody's talking about diversity and inclusion. And so you hear about it talked all the time, but, you know, we're really not seeing it translate into results. And, and I think, you know, one of the problems is that there's really no accountability. Law firms, a lot of them aren't holding themselves accountable for their DEI efforts. And then I think also clients talk about diversity, but they're not holding um, the law firms accountable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about law firms and um, 
you know, on the, on the one hand, I don't want to be completely negative because I have seen, uh, you know, certain firms and certain efforts and certain programs um, be really successful. And, you know, I know when, when we first met um, at the Autumn Conference earlier this year, um, you know, the panel that we met, I was talking about, like, what, what are some of the concrete things that are actually working? Um, so I think it is important to identify those concrete things that are actually working. Um, but it's interesting because in the lead, in, in, in law, um, I, I know that a lot of the initial sort of successful push um, in DEI really was client driven. And I think if you take um, a cynical view um, of law firms, as, as many people do, you come at this and say, well, you know, law firms aren't going to change unless clients make them change or unless it's aligned some way with profit and, you know, different people approach things differently. But I have been excited in the past to see clients really driving this um, because that is how traditionally uh, law firms have changed. Um, and so to see general counsels, you know, get together and say, hey, you know, we're not going to work with you unless, you know, you have diverse teams or your your DEI is kind of aligned with our values um, and making that decision, not just from a moral place, but because, you know, but, but from a getting the work done place, because, you know, we believe that that's the, the way you get the best, uh, you know, work product too. Um, so that's exciting. But then um, when you take stock and a year passes and two years passes and five years path passes and you're like, wow, we really haven't moved the needle as much as we thought we were, then I think it's fair to ask, well, you know, why, right? And, and how do we turbocharge this? Yeah, and, and there are some bright lights there. I mean, I'm, I'm a patent attorney, and, and one of the firms that I work with that's really doing a really great job on this front is Herity and Herity, where they're trying to increase diversity in patent law. And they have a series of programs, their Patent Pathways program, their Herity Patent Academy, um, which uh, my firm works with for, for life sciences. So there are firms, you know, going back to firms holding themselves accountable and, and trying to make active change. There, there are some really good examples out there. So like you said, can't be overly negative, but there's definitely some some positive, bright, shining lights out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm also an IP attorney and, and do a lot of patent work. And I think, you know, that's a field in particular when you look at um, you know, the balance of, you know, women in science and math and underrepresented minorities in those same fields. Um, you know, it, it, it's even a worse situation. Absolutely. In terms of patent lawyers, you know, who are black or patent lawyers who are women. If you look at the, the statistics, it's just it's, it's awful. Right. Um, and, you know, that can't be <laughs> when I look at that and think, like, is this really the way we're going to be innovating when, when you're excluding like a huge portion of society? It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think it's one of those issues. And I think it makes it more complicated to just talk about it in the in this in a narrow way, because some of these are really like long term cultural issues, right, where you have to go back to like second grade exactly. and be like, well, how elementary do more, school. right, how do we get more folks involved in science and math? And, and, it, and, and then I think once you do that, you see how complicated the problem is in the long view, because it, um, it involves all these cultural issues, right, that are laid on top. So I think, um, you know, I'm interested in programs that take that long view, right, and say, well, how do we 
change that status quo and how do we improve the pipeline but also like what can we do what, what can we do in the meantime while we're trying to fix this very very long time long-term institutional you know problem yeah absolutely and i think you're spot on i think it's not only hiring diverse attorneys but it's also helping to improve the pipeline and going back to elementary school and middle school and high school and even college and and it's attorneys going to, to law schools and inspiring um, the next generation to want to go into the legal field. Yeah. And, and I think, like you said, it's also when we get into this issue of inclusion that we put front and center, you know, in, in our title for the podcast, we're not just talking about you know, the numbers and the statistics and hiring diverse attorneys. We're also talking about creating cultures where they can succeed and where they want to stay. Um, and that, I think, is an even more complicated question, of course, than, uh, you know, you know, let's let's, you know, statistically hire these people. You know, if because if, if you don't create a culture um, where there's, you know, equity and equality and 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 people feel like they have a sense of belonging, um, you know, they're not going to stay. And then that's going to you know, kind of short circuit, you know, the progress. And I think that, um, you know, I'm seeing in the workplace, like we're getting, some people are getting more comfortable talking about these issues of like culture and belonging. Um, but I think, frankly, some people just think it's fluff and, you know, their job is to, you know, do cases and get patents and that, that anything else is kind of extraneous. Um, and so I think that's, that's an important kind of hurdle to get over for for the effort, right? We have to get this broader base of folks to engage with this. Absolutely. The inclusion and the culture is such a big part of it. I mean, hiring diverse individuals and just providing metrics to clients just, like you said, isn't enough. And I think, you know, there are some people who just look at it that way that take that narrow short-term game kind of approach, but it's making sure that, you know, you don't, you know, it's just not diversity to satisfy a client. Those indiv diverse individuals need to be given the opportunities to do that work for that client. If they're going on that pitch for that client, they need to be involved and they need to have face time with that client. Because like you said, you're absolutely right. If you don't create that culture, then those individuals are going to leave. And this is just going to become a continual circular type of problem. And as you know, we continue to see it's just going painfully slow. And it's, you know, for the reasons we've just mentioned. Yeah. And, and I think, frankly, one of the issues also, and, you know, you shared an article with, with me before we chatted um, from Law360 about kind of the slowness of the progress and some survey results. And it was interesting kind of reading those survey results. And I was also thinking about, um, you know, like the recent affirmative action that the Supreme Court um, held involving, you know, college admissions and what might happen there when people are reading the tea leaves. Um, so it's, of course, like it's this bigger issue, um, but also within, um, you know, this field and how it's applied. But I think that some people view this as kind of like a box checking kind of exercise. And they're like, okay, well, we have to get the diverse person. Um, and, and they see it. it. It's interesting. One of the quotes from that article, and maybe you have it handy, um, was, um, you know, I'm just going to hire the best person for the job, not like based on someone's identity. Um, and the fact that there's a disconnect between those two things where people don't we're not not all people appreciate that if you want innovation and you want like the best result, like like you are going to get that from a diverse team. So it's not kind of an either right They're Like it's like an integrated thing. Yeah. And, and in case anybody's interested, that article was in Law 360 on August 3rd, and it's called uh, Diversity is Doomed Unless GCs Step Up 
report suggests, and it was a report from the Institute for Inclusion in the Legal Profession, and they ran a survey um, for about a year from March 2019 to April 2020, where they reached out to Fortune 500 companies, and they had 136 corporations um, that responded. And, and there were some really interesting statistics in there, because one of the statistics said that uh, or was rather that 82.6% of the respondents indicated that they don't set any diversity goals for their outside counsel. And, and basically the reason for that was they don't have the time, the personnel or interest to police their outside counsel. So again, you know, we need engagement, not only from our clients, but also law firms need to, to be more active and proactive on this front as well. Yeah. I mean, and that was, that was a pretty interesting and surprising statistic. That was a very surprising statistic, especially given how many clients are talking about it right now. Right. And also just I just remember a few short years ago being so impressed with, you know, all the, the general counsels coming together and really sort of pushing law firms. Um, and I'd even been talking about that, like on the mental health and wellness front, which is another area that I really focus on. I've been talking about like applying that same model that had been successful in diversity, meaning, you know, clients kind of driving this um, because, you know, when it's bottom line oriented and then clients are driving it, that's that's how we, we, we make some change in the law firm world often. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little moralizing, right, to, to, to go back and see those statistics. Um, I kind of thought that we were doing more there than uh, we actually were. I thought we were doing better as well. And, and it made me wonder, you know, how do we get more attorneys and law firms engaged in diversity, equity, inclusion? Should this be something that's tied to compensation? I mean, it's always the great motivator in law firms. You know, should it be something that, you know, for every hour of diversity, inclusion, time and attorney spends, they get billable equivalent billable hour credit, you know, should this be something state bars require, you know, just like we, you know, are required to have continuing legal education. Some states, you know, count pro bono, look for pro bono activity. Should this be something state bars, you know, require all of us to do? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm in favor of experimenting with a lot of those types of programs to see what works and what moves the needle, what moves the needle. Um, and you're right. I think as you know, there's a there's a there's a sort of track record for those sorts of things working in the pro bono side. Exactly. Uh, and and I think that you know, like I said, there, there's kind of this long term, um, bigger picture culture education um, stuff that we have to work on. But in the short term, I'm I'm all for um, you know trying these types of incentivizing experiments. Um, and you know, you mentioned some some good ones, um, and and to see how they work. Um, you know, I know. We do that for diversity hours uh, at my at my firm, um, and I, I think it's a good idea. So I'm a member of the Illinois State Bar, and we have a diversity requirement for every two years for a part of our continuing legal education, but it's limited to just taking some type of course. You know, if we could figure out some way that there was some active kind of contribution being made in addition to having to take, you know, uh, the required um CLE courses, I think, you know, that might be a way to, to move the, the needle and get more attorneys thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. No, I love that thought, right? Because I think we all are, are guilty of it, right? Someone says, oh, like you have to go, or you have to go to like the harassment training or the diversity training or the mental health training. And we're just like, okay, we're going to do this and get the code and put it in and then move on with our day. Exactly. But if you can do that in a really integrated way, 
first of all, I think it can be really powerful. Um, so, so I love, I love that idea of like marrying that to real work. Um, like something that a, a program that we started at Wigan, like uh, three years ago is this, um, opportunity initiative where we're doing pro bono work for minority owned businesses and a lot of attorneys working on that. And I think by doing that work, like in the real world and getting experience, um, you know, it's much more impactful than, uh, just go into a training. Exactly. And it could be something like being a mentor. I mean, law firms have mentoring within firms, but I think mentoring outside a firm to maybe it's a law student or someone in high school or even elementary school and trying to encourage them to pursue a legal career, I think might be a way to go. Yeah. And I mean, that that kind of is like a two birds with one stone kind of thing, right? Because you're also kind of helping the pipeline and, and, you know, showing showing people a path forward that they may not have seen previously. I mean, the other thing I, th- I think about in terms of what we can do um, and, and, and getting more people involved who can drive change, I think like as a as a white male, like I think a lot about allyship and sort of what that means. And um, I've done a lot of work on that um, with, uh, you know, my writing and, and thinking at the at the Good Men Project, which is one of the side um, side things that I do outside of being a lawyer. And to your point about, you know, training sessions feeling kind of wooden, um, you know, one thing we thought a lot about, um, because, you know, if you look at the statistics from all the smart consulting companies, um, the real, a real driver in whether your, your DEI program is, you know, successful and evolutionary is if you have, you know, white males involved. And the reason for that is that traditionally, like they, those are the people that have held a lot of power. So if you want to change something that costs money and time and you need buy-in, like you need buy-in from that, that group of people. Um, but I think at the same time, one, one thing that we thought about um, when we we're thinking about sort of training, training programs for allies is, the reality of life, which is like, you know, everyone's busy and they have kids and little league and, and families and lots of work. So, you know, what, you know, a lot of times you kind of have to overcome that hump of, um, are you going to come to my allyship training session? Right. Or are you going to do this piece of work or go see your kids? Or, you know, it has to, has to, you know, even though I think, you know, you and I and many people think like, hey, this is a good thing and we should do this. I think in the like every day, <laughs> I think you have to make it attractive. So one thing we've thought about um, in, in that regard is sort of framing that as like leadership development training, like in the sort of what's in it for me, like, why should I come to this? Not just to check the box and not because, you know, you know, Mike and Lisa said, hey, it's really good for you to do this. But like, if you're going to lead an organization, um, you have to be be able to navigate these issues. And, 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 you know, and so I think that makes it, you know, I think when you tell people like, hey, come for the whatever session, if you say, hey, like, here, and here's what's in it for you. And I think it's true. Um, I think you get more people in there. And so that's something we're trying to do, because I think doing allyship right can be a real like sort of force multiplier. I really love that idea. And, and it makes me wonder if maybe we need to go back and, and offer these types of training a little earlier on, like in law schools for the next generation of lawyers that are coming out and give them the tools right away as they're coming out to you know, recognize the importance of these issues and be able to hit the ground running um, because they are the next generation of leaders. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've been fortunate enough to be doing some speaking uh, in law schools. Uh, I've been doing um, more in the area of uh, mental health and wellness recently, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking about sooner rather than later. Oh, but absolutely. there's a lot of, a lot of overlap. Yeah. But, but that generation 
is inspiring in so many ways and on point with these issues and in, in ways that our generation has taken, you know, just isn't. And so I think that is a great place to start for sure. Absolutely. And I think the more that law firms can do to really intertwine equity, diversity, inclusion in their, their culture and include it in all aspects of what they do, um, whether it's allyship, you know, um, leadership development. I think the more they can weave it into their fabric of what they are, you know, that's only going to help move the needle forward as well. Yeah, no, I really, I really agree. Cause I do think that there are sort of, you know, leanings and biases and, um, you know, that, that sort of do get in the way. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, like I think about like zero sum thinking, right. Which I see, see so often, right. Like if this, um, like if this person wins, I lose. And then it becomes very like oppositional rather than like, you know, Hey, like we're all growing this pie together and it's good for us and we all succeed. And I think, um, that's like one of these sort of like fluffy cultural issues that, you know, you don't really talk about it every day, but it drives so much behavior. Um, you know, so you want, you know, I don't know, for me, I think it's really important to show like white men, for example, that like, this is the way you lead, like, you're not going to lose, um, you know, and, and, you know, just because someone else like gets a benefit and gets, you know, to do something and gets advancement, like, you're not going to lose, like, you're actually going to win because you're, you're going to be more successful altogether. Um, and I think that's, that's like one of these cultural issues that's sometimes hard to get at um, unless you really are creative about it. And like you said, like try and like really integrate this stuff every day in like a really thoughtful way. Absolutely. And, and I think too, you know, we talked about clients. I really think our clients need to be more engaged with us as well. I, I, I kind of like the idea of clients, you know, setting some diversity goals for firms, especially for firms that aren't setting their own diversity goals and um, I think they should tell us, you know, what they expect. And but I think they also need to put some teeth behind it, too, without, you know, some type of motivation, expectation, goal. I just think we're good. Law firms are going to continue to flounder. Yeah, I mean, I think I think clients, like I said, can be very motivating, right? Very motivating. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to put it all on clients. I think, you know, cause we have a responsibility to do it um, ourselves. Um, even if someone's not holding our feet to the fire and saying, Hey, I'm not going to work with you unless you do this. Um, but I totally agree that, you know, that, that can be motivating. Right. Right. And, and I think necessarily you're talking to a lot of different people and stakeholders and people are at different points in this sort of journey of where they stand on DEI. So to tell so so to be able to tell someone hey like you know this client needs this and not talk about culture and zero sum game um you know that's an easy thing to do and sometimes you know that's just what you need yeah and i think there are opportunities to work together right to increase the pipeline because you may have a young you know diverse attorney start out in a law firm and eventually want to go in house because they want that experience and so by working together i think to try and solve this problem you know, we, we provide a pipeline for one another. And, you know, I think only good things can come from kind of a collaborative undertaking on this instead of, you know, necessarily all the time, you know, law firms being dictated to from clients, you need to do X, you need to do Y, but can we do this collaboratively? Because it's only going to help, you know, each of us. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I agree. And I also think there are lots of different ways to, to come at it. Like, you know, you mentioned earlier, kind of bar associations or industry associations like yes. like the one we met at where people are coming together 
um, and saying like, hey, here are all the things we're trying in our organization, and this is what works, and this is what doesn't work, and these are some of the issues. So that's really important to be able to come together and share that. But there's also, I think, space within firms to say like, hey, what can we do? And also space within clients to say, hey, you know, how do we push this further? You know, it's a multi-variable kind of problem with lots of factors. So it needs lots of, uh, you know, diverse, you know, stakeholders kind of thinking about it in parallel and figuring out what's going what's gonna to work. Absolutely. So, Mike, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to go back to a point you made earlier on in the podcast about law firms maybe choosing between the, the diverse candidate or maybe the best candidate for the job. What's your final thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that one really kind of jumped out at me and sort of sticks in my craw um, just because when you look at studies, right, you look at people who like study this kind of like scientifically or, or in the business world, there's there's plenty of evidence at this point in 2022 um, that diverse teams are more successful teams. And it's not so surprising, right? Like we're selling <laughs> to a diverse world, um, you know, so you want to have, you know, lots of different perspectives and lots of different lived experiences. And so I just really reject this idea that we have to choose between the quote unquote, like best candidate, like and a diverse candidate. It's not, it's not like that. And I think like, that's a very powerful negative idea that I think uh, sort of perpetuates institutionally. So I think it's important just to to call that out and hit that. Um, But, you know, I also think like, 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 I guess the closing thoughts are kind of, you know, it's a combination, you know, institutional issues are institutional and pernicious and last for a long time, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. (laughs) And this is one of those, right. And so, we're not going to, in this half hour, like, you know, come up with a solution. But I think just just hopeful that we can, you know, sort of frame some of the issues and give some food for thought, because I think there are long-term solutions and there are sort of short-term experimental things that we can do. And there are very specific, uh, you know, trainings we can do. And then there's more, um, you know, sort of nebulous, but, but yet important sort of cultural issues to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's just so much to to talk about and think about. And I'm glad that we could kick off in this way. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think, you know, let's hope that law firms and clients and all of us as humans um, can just work work together so that the profession in our world, you know, so that we continue to make progress and faster and better progress on this issue. And uh, that's my hope. And, you know, so I think that's that's what we have time for today for this week's episode. So Lisa and I will catch you next time on the Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasden at wigan.com. 